Welcome in listeners to another episode of the Busby Bay podcast. This is Colin Dams, once again joined by Nathan Heinschel and Polly Questel. Um, a lot has happened since we last spoke to you all, including um, you might have heard the transfer return of Cristiano Ronaldo to Old Trafford. And um, I guess to put it lightly, we have some thoughts. Um, to use the parlance of this podcast and and of our times, but not trying to make light of the issue, um, the vibes are infinitely less immaculate than they were about a week and a half ago. Was a week and a half ago before the Southampton match? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah let's include yeah, that, the Southampton match in there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've we've brought back Cristiano Ronaldo. And it's one, I guess, a very polarizing move, to say the least. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote a post that went up this morning for the Busby Babe, um, kind of highlighting how uncomfortable I was with this mass celebratory mood that had been happening while, you know, kind of ignoring the big elephant in the room, which is... Cristiano Ronaldo has been accused of rape. Um, but also, it it just seems like a backward step for the club in general. Not, not only to be doing this PR campaign for Cristiano Ronaldo, the human, but also it kind of just feels like the antithesis of everything that we've been led to believe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's rebuild has been about. And is actually confirming everything we feared it to be, which is, you know, a nostalgia pander point accumulation by the Glazers. But I, I don't know. It, it it It's hard to put into words everything that is disappointing about this move, but overall it is just generally kind of disappointing. Well, we, so... <laughs> It, we're we're recording this on Wednesday, September 1st, so we're probably some of the last people on Earth to finally be podcasting about this. Um, I'm certainly of two minds of it, and uh, I've consumed all kinds of content over the last couple of days ever since uh, it was initially reported that we were getting ready to hijack the move because he was allegedly going to City. Um, I thought um, Musa Kwango from the Ringer FC, formerly the Stadio podcast, really did a great job of, of talking about how it, it, it seems like every, everything about it is weird and uncomfortable um, from two different aspects. While he, he conceded that pro, it potentially is a good footballing move um, with Ronaldo potentially still being the spearhead of an attack and having you know, the kinds of wingers that we have where if they can get the ball out wide and then put the ball in into the box that chances are it'll probably be effective and he'll still score goals because that's the kind of player he is. Um, we as we're as we're recording the Portugal Ireland game just ended and it was a classic game that you would expect from a player like him. Um, but from the footballing aspect, it does seem weird that United all of a sudden is going back to its old ways of putting all its eggs into the basket of 
a star, but an aging star. We don't know. We could be proven wrong. He could be good. We don't know. Uh, he is 36, 37. So, I mean, the best years are probably behind him. So there's that, especially with all the movement of getting away from having the, the, that kind of signing that United had had. You know, there's been a big youth movement. There's been a lot of Deadwood that's been taken out of the, you know, a lot of the Deadwood was taken out of the club and the wage structure started to get back, you know, out of where it was out of control. Now it's less out of control. So from that perspective, it seems like United's kind of taken two steps back after making all this progress under Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, of course, from the from the off the field stuff, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Um, not only the things that are surrounding Ronaldo because of things that he is alleged to have done, um, that he is potentially admitted to in depositions. Also, you have the aspects of the wider media landscape as it's built right now. Instead of people looking at it and just saying, hey, they they signed Ronaldo, like good for them. That's probably a signing that will be good for them on the pitch. It seems like there are some pundits who are going out of their way to talk about how great of a person he is or something uh, to that effect. And it, it's to the point where it almost seems like they're over um, overextending themselves to like talk about how good of a person he is in, in a way to mobilize and silence the people who might have their doubts towards this move. You've got guys like Holly Gunnar Solskjaer. <laughs> who's got a checkered past with, you know, defending um, players uh, with sexual assault allegations. There's a player that he coached in in Molda who is wanted in Norway, um, and I believe by Interpol as well. Um, So that's already on his record. Now he's coming out and saying how great of a person he is. Jamie Carragher has come out and said this. You've got all of the Manchester United former players who are all – you know, across the media landscape as pundits really going out of the way instead of just keeping it real simple and saying, hey, probably a good signing. They'll win a bunch of games with them. Um, everybody's going out of their way to say more than they probably should. And you're, you're seeing more and more people who are letting their own thoughts known and saying that, you know, you might have somebody in your life that you don't know who might be suffering from something and they're seeing the way that you're responding to these things. Um, so right now, it's, I, I think Colin, you did a great job of summing up how we all feel where this is. This is not just this, this march into the castle and we're all it, it, like a triumphant march. Like we're kind of, you know, we're, we're all a little taken aback by it. And for reasons that we wish we didn't have to be taken aback by it, but you know, it, it should be acknowledged. And I'm, I'm glad that we're taking the editorial position that we are acknowledging these things. Cause a lot of outlets aren't mentioning it at all. You guys have both spoken at large, Nathan, um, what you just said and Colin, what you wrote and what you said about those issues and what it is to me, this entire thing just feels very hollow. From the off the pitch stuff to, as Colin mentioned, basically the PR campaign to talk about how he's a human and and Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer saying that after the match on Sunday, 
you can talk about you can you can it is a it is it is a choice and i don't necessarily say it's the correct choice but you can talk about ronaldo without talking about that the off the field stuff you can talk about his work ethic and his commitment to improving himself and what he you know his drive to succeed and win and etc and that's all fine you don't then have to go and say he's a great human being because objectively whether even if even if and i and i do not believe that that the accusations are false if you look at the fact that what uh, I, I forget her name and that's a shame on me that I can't even tell you what her name is. That's a, I, I feel bad about that, but you look at the numbers historically in the world. Like if someone reports a rape, it is astronomically more likely to be true than to be uh, someone just crying rape when, because for whatever make fabricating it, women do not do that. Especially they especially don't do that if they go to the hospital and, and get a rape kid. And and she reported this the next day. And if she was just looking for attention and money, she would have pressed further press charges on this. But she didn't because she was afraid of who she was going up against. One of the biggest footballers in the world. Even if even if Ronaldo is innocent in that regard, though, he is a narcissistic human being who very much only cares about himself. And Nathan, you you mentioned the Portugal match this afternoon that just concluded about 20 minutes ago, and that was as peak Ronaldo as it, as it comes. He scored a 96-minute winner. His reaction was, I need to take my shirt off and show the world this specimen that is Cristiano Ronaldo, just like he did when he scored the fourth goal in the Champions League final that he played almost that Angel Di Maria dominated, but Ronaldo scored the fourth goal and took it off his shirt. It was a penalty. Shirt. Yes, to show the world. Who, and when he scored a penalty, in, 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 when it went to penalties and he scored the last penalty against Atletico Madrid, it's always a, oh, take, well, he got a yellow card for taking off his shirt after scoring the 96-minute winner. He is suspended for the next match. That doesn't matter to Ronaldo because it's about he scored the goal and and Everybody, oh, it's Azerbaijan is the next match. That's not the point. The point is Cristiano Ronaldo is only about Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's the the rape thing is 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 really bad. And I don't want to disprove it. And I don't want to throw it and cast it aside. But even if you did that, everything about this feels hollow because it, it doesn't feel. I, I tweeted a long thread about this on Friday and everybody said, oh, well, what about emotion? And doesn't that count for anything? And the emotion of Ronaldo coming back. And, and no, it doesn't because we've, we've talked about it on this show before, how we became fans of this club. And I've told you, Tim Howard was signed by United and I started to watch them at a time when I was starting to watch soccer, but not really because to me it was still just pretty boring. And then I saw this 17-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo and he was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I just wanted to watch more and more and more of him. And that's really why I fell in love with this game. And I have fantastic memories of growing up and seeing Ronaldo and 
the 2007, 2008 season was the season where I discovered illegal streams and that I could watch every single match. So I very much watched every single match and I saw him develop into this superstar right before my eyes. I can't even that, that game against Aston Villa at Villa park where, or uh, no, at old Trafford where he scored on that back heel and they won four. 0 I can't tell you how many times I watched that match. Incredible. I, I saw him. I have great memories of him, but if we were bringing that Ronaldo back, I, I can't tell you how I would react to it. I'd probably be happy. Like this is, this is the, the, the whole thing about this, transfer is it's brought out a hypocritical side in a lot of people and i will own up to the fact that i am a hypocrite in in this regard also and i can't sit here and tell you that i'd sit on my high horse and say he's an accused rapist and i'm not happy about this if we were bringing back a 26 year old cristiano ronaldo i don't know if that's i might sit there and say yeah that's bad and hopefully the right things happen to him but until it's all sorted out. I'm going to enjoy him playing football. That might have been that. I, I don't know. But we're not getting that Ronaldo. We're getting 36 year old Ronaldo who still scores a lot of goals, but doesn't do much of anything else. And I have I've seen Wayne Gretzky, who is the greatest hockey player to ever play, come to the New York Rangers to finish out his career. And he had a great year. And then he was a shell of himself for two years and did nothing to help the team. And I have seen other players go elsewhere to finish out their career. And it it just becomes an, a footnote in so many different ways. And that's, to me, the Ronaldo that we're getting. And then there's the everybody, the amount of people I saw on Thursday when it was possible that he was going to go to Manchester City being like, well, you remember, it's not the same Ronaldo anymore and yada 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 and then the next day being like how could anybody be upset like we just signed cristiano freaking ronaldo and it's like we're not getting that ronaldo and, and we should stop acting like it's this grand homecoming because as i said before it's it there's hypocrisy from everybody and the fans are the number one people and to act like ronaldo's coming home ronaldo agreed to join city and he told players at juventus that he agreed to join city. So someone said to me yesterday, like we had to sign him to prevent our legend from soiling his reputation. No, we don't. That's not our job in any way, shape or form. If he wants to go and soil his reputation, by all means, let him because Cristiano Ronaldo does not care about Manchester United. The only reason he is here again is because Sir Alex Ferguson is the only person that he bows down to and the only person that he ca- uh, not cowers to, but, you know, has his ear or he. Yeah. But we could have stopped here. We could have from a footballing perspective. This just feels like Alexis Sanchez all over again. Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer even admitted that we we couldn't let him go to Manchester City. And that it would have a long-term residual effect of schoolboys in Manchester seeing him wearing the blue shirt, etc. And he's not wrong in that regard. But we also know that City had no intention of paying a transfer fee for him. So they were happy to sign him on a free. They weren't happy to pay Juventus for him. That that transfer was probably going to fall through if we didn't step in. And we did our offensive of you get 
Solskjaer and you get Wayne Rooney and you get people to say, yeah, don't ruin your reputation by signing for Manchester City. And you speak out and say, if you care about your legacy at United, you wouldn't sign for City. That doesn't mean you have to then go and sign it. And ultimately, then you step in, you sign him, you throw the wage structure around for a 36-year-old who will probably score goals because that's what he does. But as Jonathan Wilson, I think Colin mentioned, John, yeah, Colin mentioned Jonathan Wilson in his article and some of the things he said and how Old Trafford has become the Manchester United theme park, et cetera. But he is also, he watches a lot more European football than you, me, and most English fans and probably and he, anyone at SB, everyone at SB Nation combined, Jonathan Wilson watches more football. And and probably and and I would say more than ninety nine point nine five percent of Manchester United fans, especially English based Manchester United fans. He watches more European and he, and he said, yeah, Ronaldo went to Juventus. He scored goals, didn't make them a better team, made them a worse team. And that's kind of the, is when Ronaldo's in your team, you got to play. Ronaldo's the guy now. You got to play to Ronaldo and to his strengths and footballing wise. I don't know if that works for us because we are not built for that. And, and that's what doesn't make sense either in that we kind of just threw this whole plan out, out the window and we have played three games this year. And in two of them, you have seen exactly what the problem is. We don't have a midfield and you can add a striker who scores a lot of goals when, by the way, scoring goals wasn't our problem last year. We scored the second most in the league. Now, is that number inflated by a 6-2 win against Leeds and a 9-0 win against 10 and 9 men Southampton? Yes. Could you look at the games against City and Chelsea and Arsenal and all those nil-nils and say, well, we need goals in those games? Yes, but you also have to look at the other side in that in all those games, we defend as a team. We need all 11 players. Those games were nil-nil because we didn't score, but also because we defended really well. And that's a team effort, especially in the in the system that Ali Gunnar Solskjaer has built. And Ronaldo doesn't do that. It's it, We already know they're going to need players that, that do his running for him, which is what we had to do when he first was here. And suddenly now you're defending with 10 players. Is that going to work? Yeah. Okay. He, he comes into that game at Anfield. He scores a goal, but if he's out on the pitch, do you, do you concede one? Do you concede two? Maybe, maybe not. We, we don't know for sure, but that's the thing is it throws off the entire balance. And if you want to play where, Oh, okay, well we can defend with 10, with 10 players, then you need to, establish more possession in the middle you need and we don't have the midfield to do that McTominay and Fred could be very good against the Chelsea's and the cities and the Liverpool's and not allowing them to win but they they're not going to all of a sudden be like oh yeah sure we'll just play a possession-based game now they're not good enough to do that and most of our team isn't so does this move help us we we added Rafael Varane. We added Jaden Sancho. We and then we on top of that we added Ronaldo, who, as, as I said, second most goals in the league. And what Cavani and Greenwood combined for like 18 goals, or Cavani and Martial combined for like 15 goals last year. Like we didn't get goals from our striker. 
And if Martial finds a little bit of form, not even a lot, he's going to score more. Mason Greenwood has already looked like the back half, the back end of last season and the early parts of this season, he has already looked like he can handle this role as a number nine so he can rotate with Cavani. It just was a very much unneeded positional hole, Phil, when we're ne- where we end up neglecting the problem. And on top of that, there's all the other issues, like all the other issues. But now all the fans are reacting like, oh, Ronnie's home and this guy's coming home, et cetera. Like this is the they're, they're rolling out the red carpet for a guy. This the hypocrisy amongst the fan base is just astonishing for me because whenever you hear somebody act up or some anything, the amount of people who are like, no one's bigger than the club, let them go, is, and that there's a there's a valid that's a valid take. You're looking at a guy who was basically posturing for a move to Real Madrid while still celebrating while still on the pitch at the Luznicki Stadium in 2008. You're looking at a guy who, when we won, was still crying because he missed his penalty. He's a guy that then went to the Euros that summer, and when he lost, went into the mix zone and said, Manchester United knows what I want, and I hope we can put this through this summer. And he didn't get it. He called, He said United was treating him like a slave. And the next season, he came back, and you want to talk about down tools? He coasted. Through that season, the only thing he had said, I, I've won everything that I want to, that I can win in England. I want to go to Real Madrid. That's my dream. Fair enough. That's your dream. Sir Alex Ferguson sold him on one thing that summer, and that was be the first guy to lead your team to back-to-back Champions League wins. And Ronaldo was a different player in the Champions League that year than he was in the Premier. He was terrible in the Premier. Like he did nothing. And he turned it on in the Champions League to ensure that United got to that final, and then they ran into a very good team. But he was basically the entire he he did a segment before the Champions League final of him interviewing himself, where he asked about going to Real Madrid. And now we're rolling out the red carpet for this guy to come back. Oh, he's home. This guy did everything he possibly could to force a move out, and then agreed with agreed to go to Manchester City. Yet some fans are still mad at Wayne Rooney because at one point in his career he submitted a transfer request and was speaking to Man City. And we're rolling out the red carpet for Ronaldo. He called he said United are treating him like a slave. We've got a player who and then he spent an entire summer and an entire year posturing for a move. Publicly, we've got a player who one time said it might be time for a challenge elsewhere. Then never said another word, but his agent has run his mouth and his agent has called United a slave, has, has made a comment about United treating him like a slave, which he then apologized for. And it's, oh, he doesn't want to be here. Get him out of the club. And now we're rolling out the red carpet and welcoming back this guy who spent a year trying to leave and then used our name several times just so we can get a just so we can get a raise and a guy who's going to come in and not do any of the other things that this team needs to do. He's just going to be a guy that, you know, hangs out up the pitch, demands the ball, turns, shoots. He's going to score goals. Does he make us a better team? I don't know. The entire thing just feels 
incredibly hollow from start to finish corporate like Ronaldo doesn't care about United he cares about Ronaldo and nothing sums it up his Instagram post this is for you Sir Alex that's who it's about it's not about you and me not about the fans it's only it's Sir Alex he never mentioned the fans in that post and the fans are rolling out the red carpet it's it's just a completely hollow move and feeling for everything that I'm feeling right now. If this was an ESPN radio show, that would be Polly's like 15 minute rant intro. Like the rest, my, the rest the of the hour would have been in, in, in my ear yelling at me three different times that we didn't take a break. I think I just spoke for 20 minutes. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> uh, you're good. I, but yeah, there yeah. was, a, there was very much a reason why I let Nathan go first. <laughs> It was at least 15 minutes, but I mean, I think you sum up everything that we've kind of been marinating on over the past probably four or five days in the Busby Babe Slack channel. So, yeah. Well, and to make it more like a radio show, um, coming up after the break, Nathan will do his 15 minute rant on Dan James leaving for Leeds United. <laughs> the slightly less followed transfer news story. Um. I, I guess let's talk a little bit about that, though, in the broader context of the close of this window, because along with the Ronaldo deal, I mean, it kind of makes sense at that point, I guess, to let Daniel James go. And we let him go for probably doubling, I guess, what we paid for him. Uh, so we made a profit off of him. I think it was, what, the fifth most Manchester United had ever received, fourth most Manchester United had ever received uh, as a transfer fee for a player, which is uh, remarkable and indicative of club management in recent years. What, what uh, is it? Uh, Ronaldo, Lukaku, and uh, Di Maria. We Di received Maria. 40, but we paid 60 for Di Maria and received 40. And then we paid 75 for Lukaku and received 70. So it's right. it is indicative of the way we sell. And everything, but people are harping on that like it's a bad thing. Like, or not, I mean, it's not a great thing, but people are harping on it in, in the extreme yeah. negative when it's it's indicative of the way we, like, as if, like, oh, we're, if that's how incompetent we are. And it's like, no, it's indicative of the way we sell because we don't sell. We buy an 18 year old Wayne Rooney and we keep him for 10 years. So when, when we're ready to get rid of him, he's not worth anything. We, we buy a Rio Ferdinand. And we keep him for however long. We we bought Luke Shaw at 19, and and we had no plans of selling him when he turned 23. We we said you, we're buying you at 19, so you can be our left back for 10 years. So like, when we buy someone, it's about we we paid because you're going to provide this value for us on the pitch, as opposed to a Borussia Dortmund or even a Chelsea with their academy, where they see these players as just assets, and it's oh we're buying you so that we could flip you for money. I, I would say, though, that it's also indicative of our lack of production in terms of talent growth over the last 10 years, where in a time where the market of paying transfer fees for young players has really blown up, most of the players that we produce, we either desperately need or aren't good enough to generate that big of a fee when they leave. You're you're right about that. And, and that's a well-known thing is that in the middle of the decade – the academy went to shit and we, and it was underfunded and we, we weren't focused on that. Um, Van Gaal kind of exposed how low end the talent we were producing in. And you know, Mourinho's not going to give a shit about it. 
And that's that's why when Mourinho, even when Mourinho came in and it was like, oh, we're going to spend more on the academy. When Mourinho was leaving, uh, we mentioned this in the Busby Slack channel this morning. When Mourinho was leaving, the three players that we had coming out of the academy that everybody was excited about were Mason Greenwood, Taith Chong, and Angel Gomez. And Mason Greenwood is very much the real deal. But like everybody, when Ollie took over and it was like, why isn't he giving Chong or Gomez opportunities? And it was like, I asked the question, are they good or are they just the best that we've produced in a while? And that turned out to be the latter. But even before, even when the academy was good, we weren't... We weren't selling anybody for a lot of money. We were Craig Cash, you know, when when everybody when the entire bottom half of the league was made up of United Academy graduates, like all of them were leaving for undisclosed fees. They were all leaving to go play football and not so much because basically anybody who was good enough to um, anyone who was good enough to command a fee is going to play for us. That's that's kind of the thing. Like Chelsea don't really sell players that are like coming. Chelsea's players they go on loan and and hope that we can get a fee. And they spend a lot. They're not all. They're not local lads. They they sign guys from all over Europe to come in, be in their academy, join the loan army, and then hopefully they get a fee. Whereas if we get a kid that breaks through, our fan base would flip out if we sell him. And when we get when we sign an eighteen year old to play if he's panning out like you know when they're at the peak of their powers we're not selling them we're using them so when you look at all the players that have left the club like yes we took losses on Lukaku and and Di Maria because but those were the guys that it didn't work out for us but it was like hey these are still very, very valuable assets but Nani ran his course he was here for what eight years um like Anderson was so bad that nobody wanted him so you just have to let him go and and Chicharito, nobody was really coming for him. Real Madrid took him on loan, and then what? He, he went to Bayer Leverkusen because nobody wanted him. Like we used up their utility. So I understand what you're saying in that we we never developed top end players, but we did. We just have no interest in selling Marcus Rashford, not for sale. So it's it's a different strategy than other clubs have like if we had a Jaden Sancho in our academy do you think we're letting him leave for Borussia Dortmund or would he have gotten more opportunities with us or would he have seen I mean, part of the reason he left is because he looked around at Manchester City and went nobody breaks into the team here Phil Foden is the exception not even close to the norm and he he had to be stubborn to be the exception I mean yeah. it took he him like, probably was there three for years three years so, yeah. sitting on the bench um I, Manchester uh, United doesn't lease their cars. They they buy Honda Civics. They drive them for 15 years until the engine or, or the uh, odometers are like 300,000 miles. And they're like, all right, I guess I'll just go trade this in at CarMax for like a grand and then go get my new Honda Civic. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not telling on myself at all right now. Exactly right. Like when we buy something, we plan on using it. Whereas a team like Borussia Dortmund or even a uh, I mean, Tottenham's trying to break away from this, but in the Gareth Bale years, this is what they were. Is they buy young, say, let's hope that this guy, you know, blows up big and like we can get something with him. You know, he could take us somewhere to the next level. And then when someone bigger comes in, we'll sell him 
we'll sell him on. And that's, you know, Borussia Dortmund have made a, have turned themselves into a super club by doing that United buy to use. And that's part of the reason why we didn't land Erling Holland. That's, that's why we walked out of the Erling Holland deal is because they demanded that release clause that gave Mino Rayola more control than the club. And they basically said, Hey, in two and a half years, this guy is going to be sold. And we don't want that. We don't want Erling Holland for two years. Like we want Erling Holland for the next 10. And it's why they didn't get Jude Bellingham because United were basically like, we're signing you for the next but 10 years and Bellingham. Even, I mean, even miss, missing out on things like that though, I, I kind of wish we were just able to scam people like Liverpool where we could offer up someone like Jordan Ibe for 30 million pounds or Ryan Brewster. Like, I don't know. It would be nice if we could maybe put more effort into that end of things. I agree with that. We, We just don't have enough young, unproven talent. That's the problem. Like potential is worth the most money in this market. Now, if you go out there and prove you can't do it, people see that. And then they're like, ah, that guy's terrible. Yeah, well, do you think that's do you think it's part of because of the it used to be when you were trying to sell people they when you were trying to sell a player other clubs would look and be like oh he scored that big goal against whatever and oh he oh he Jesse Lingard he scored in the FA Cup final good player we'll take him now when you try to sell somebody everybody's first question is why why try and sell that guy what do you know yeah, I, I think that that was pretty much what I was trying to get into as well as I just think it's maybe it's the culture and the mystique around United has now morphed it. So that way teams do look at it kind of funny, almost in the same way that we joke that when Bayern Munich wants to sell a player, you have to ask what's wrong with them. Um, you know, like we're in a situation where if somebody's showing money off player sales. Yeah, if somebody's showing well, it's one of those things where it's like. For instance, Anthony Alonga looked really well, good in preseason. What if somebody came along and offered us like $35 million or something and we sold him? I think people would like lose their shit over it because they would be like, $35 is nothing to us. We're Manchester United. We need to keep talented players like that. And so uh, it, I just think that we're probably kind of stuck in a rut a little bit where maybe if we had a bunch of players who were like, you know – going to use the American grading system here. So sorry if you're not following along at home, but like a solid B, you know, like they're like an 85 out of a hundred, right. Uh, on the point scale. And it was like, somebody comes calling and they want to buy them for 30 million or 25 million, whatever the, the price is dictated. And it's like a fair market price. And we're looking at our squad going like, I mean, this kid's not going to ever play for us, at least not for the next three to four years. Why don't we go ahead and just make some money here? And then we can either go take that money reinvested in the club or reinvested into academy signings, um, which is something that Chelsea is like really, really successful in doing. They don't have it, it. I don't know about the fans themselves, but certainly the culture in the, in the decision-making rooms in that club is they don't get attached to players except for maybe Mason Mount right now. But it's one of those things like if they have a player who's looking good enough out the door. Like we're not no ifs, ands, or buts. If you if you if you're good, but you are not going to make the first team in the next two to three years, you are going to go play for somebody else. And then Chelsea's going to make a bunch of money because it's either and it's a win-win. They either bring them back in or they sell them out. And then maybe Chelsea ends up finding themselves having to play against that player for a couple of years, and then they end up going and rebuying that player. But again, that, that's a club that money's no object to them. Um, yeah. So it's I, not I just. Con- 
it's not even fair market price. Like, oh, 35 million for Ilanga. If if a team, if PSG came in and offered you 110 million for Marcus Rashford right now, would you take it? Me personally, no. But a lot of that is I mean, driven he's by like, emotion. But yeah, that's, the, that's exactly Nathan's point. That's exactly the yeah. point Nathan and I are making is it's driven by emotion. This is what when I tweeted it out on Friday about the Ronaldo thing, this is what people were responding to me is, is doesn't emotion have to come into play at some point? And like as a fan, yeah, that's fine for emotion to come into play. But your club, no, like that's a reason. That's the reason why clubs keep hiring analysts and 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 people that that take emotion out of it because if you run your club Barcelona run with emotion and look at where they are right now if you running a business on emotion is not a good thing in any way shape or form and, and a lot of football clubs are run like that where they bring it oh like you bring in your friend and you bring in another football guy and instead of a guy that's competent to do the job you're asking him to do you know, a lot of these front office jobs are being filled by footballers who don't have the education. But, oh, you you do have to take emotion out of it. If, if someone came in and offered $110 million for Marcus Rashford, United would be smart to sell him. But the fan base would erupt if we did that. So that's part of the reason why you can't sell in this club. In regards to that example, I'm not accepting anything less than $220 million for Marcus Rashford. <laughs> and then – and then everybody goes, why can't we sell anybody? Why can't we sell Delote? Why can't we sell Mata? Why can't we sell Lingard? They're all crap. And it's like, well, why would you, if you're taking something to the market to sell it, why would the first thing that comes out of your mouth be, they're crap? <laughs> Do you think we were overvaluing some of our assets as well? Oh, 100%. Yeah, but when Lingard generated even a little bit of interest from West Ham, and demonstrated firsthand that he can play well in West Ham's system. I think it's fair to, you know, put your asking price a little bit above probably what his market value is. But like Paul well, mentioned maybe. on a previous podcast, you have to be willing to negotiate down at that point. <laughs> you have to be willing to negotiate. But the thing is, West Ham never even came in. They went, oh, that's your asking price? No. I mean, like, what was the asking price of Varane and what was the asking price of Sancho this year? Not forget last year, but this year, the original quoted prices were much higher than what ended up being the final price because mm-hmm. United could have just went, no, nope, no, thank you. Or they went in and said, all right, look, let's 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 figure something out. We'll give you this much. And United, I remember fans killing them because they lowballed Dortmund at first. And it was like, no, that's just each side presents your offer and then you counter and eventually you you move and meet somewhere in the middle, closer to one side, but somewhere in the middle. West Ham never came back. So, and West Ham were the only team interested. Why, why didn't anybody else want Lingard? Well, no one else was interested. And, and that's part of the, the thing now is, okay, Lingard proved that he could still do it for West Ham, but he's also 28. And how many more years can he do that for? For 30 million, I'm better off spending 12 million on that guy who's 20 years old from somewhere else. And maybe he can do it. And if he can perform at Lingard's level, he'll do that for a few years, probably more than Lingard. And I don't know what, what club am I, my, my West Ham, my Brighton, but if what, whoever I am, if he's that good, I'll be able to sell him for 45 million and then 
be able to take that $45 million and buy three or four more of him so that one or two of him will work out. Not all of them are going to work out. That's that's the thing is there's risk involved, but potential is worth so much more money now than known commodity. And that's why Arsenal is going to lose money on Ben White. <laughs> I feel bad for Ben White, to be honest. I mean, it's pretty tough. Yeah. <laughs> Having to go to the Gooners. It, that's hey. anybody. Anybody want to mention Arteta to us right now? Anybody want to bring up all that shit you were talking at the beginning of last year about we, we, Mikel we Arteta? <laughs> you made it. Oh my god! I well, I tweeted that someone said like, how did our like they oh they signed all these players, but that's you know this person to them like football is just if you win the transfer window you you win the title and it's shocking when that doesn't happen even though that happens every year. I mean, uh, Liverpool haven't had to do much, and I don't think anyone smart would bet that Arsenal would finish above them. There's a, a large section of humans, not just United fans, but fans of plenty of teams where the transfer market is the most important thing in the world. And if you win the summer, that's what's important. And then you, and then, and how could anybody be better than them after all, you know, how many people said, how can anybody be better than Chelsea last year after all the players Chelsea signed? And guess what? Teams United were. Um, I'll just never forgive anybody who said last fall. Guys, how could they get so bad? And I said, well, you could do a lot when you have a bad manager. And someone responded to me like, bad manager, like, LOL. Like, I clicked and it's literally just an account devoted to Mikel Arteta and like how he's this great manager and like how for various two minute stretches of 90 minutes every week, Arsenal play like beautiful football. Yeah, and I mean, you've got all of these quote-unquote respected pundits. I mean, not to like relitigate all of last year right now, but I mean, we spent that August-September period of last year where everyone was like, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be the first manager who's fired. And Mikel Arteta, like Arsenal, are maybe they won't finish ahead of Manchester United, but they're in a better place because they have a manager with a plan. And... I don't know. Perspective's interesting. I'm just, that's all I'm saying. I mean, that's discourse. Who, who, who needs a plan? You can just do in 2021 is if your manager, it's not about winning and losing anymore. It's about yeah. having a distinct style. And all I got to social does not have that distinct style. He chops and changes a lot. But Mikel Arteta, when Arsenal show up to play, you know exactly what they're going to do. And when Manchester City show up to play, that you know exactly what they're going to do. And Liverpool. That doesn't make you a great manager. Like, when Louis van Gaal brings the team onto the pitch, he, you know exactly what they're going to do. Uh, and he had success with that when he started in the 90s. He no longer has success with that. He, is not he a also manager. had really creative midfield players and attackers like generational players come up through the Ajax Academy at that time. Yes. Like, But he's not a good manager because he never adapted. And it's, it it's no, you're just going to play my way. And he went to United and played his way with players that didn't fit at all. And it was really bad. And, and Arteta is going and he's putting in a very similar system to Van Gaal and, and Guardiola, but he's got bad players. And it just, it doesn't it's work. Very ponderous to watch. Trying to shift it towards being like, well, what are my player strengths and what can I do to get the best out of him? Which is what Ali Gunnar Solskjaer has done. In that he looks and he just goes, oh, yeah. what could I do? I have Nemanja Matic doesn't have legs. Paul Pogba holds on to the ball too long, 
and teams press the shit out of him. And if he's in front of our, our own, if he's near our own goal, he's going to lose the ball and it's, it's going to be bad. I've got McTominay and Fred, everybody, all four of my midfielders have major fatal flaws. I got to come up with a way that I could still win with these guys. And instead of saying, you know, I'm, you're, this is the way you're going to play, and I want to play this 4-3-3 attacking football, even though I don't have the play, like, even though it'll fall apart with if I do that, as Arteta is doing, maybe not the 4-3-3 attacking part, but whatever the style is, he's adapting. But it doesn't have the distinct style, so the media hates him. I will say it's this. It's amazing how much better yeah. Arsenal's midfield makes our midfield look. Arsenal, Arsenal doesn't have a midfield. <laughs> they have a child in a number 10 shirt. <laughs> yep. um, I will say this, and kind of bringing it back to Jonathan Wilson, the, I guess, sort of rant that he went on for the Guardian Football Weekly podcast, which is the one I referenced in the article I wrote. Um, the way that he talked about Cristiano Ronaldo as this sort of nostalgia pandering not really fitting a plan move for Manchester United is something he also likened to what he has said about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager, where kind of akin to what Polly has been saying, you know, Solskjaer is not somebody who really comes in with and shows off tactical prowess in his view. And Jonathan Wilson is also somebody who ahead of the 1920 season, the 2019-2020 season, not the 1920 season 100 years ago, um, uh, we but, all remember that Helsinki episode in the 1920 season. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, Jonathan Wilson predicted that Solskjaer would be fired by Christmas in his first full season as manager. So it's fair to say that Jonathan Wilson is not somebody who's ever been much of a Solskjaer believer. And for us, at least, and for a lot of Manchester United fans, we've been quick to defend Solskjaer against those sort of criticisms. And I, I would think we all have agreed for a long time that Solskjaer has done well enough to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to bad performances. And he does, he's deserved the time that he's been given and he deserves more time now. And he deserves the trust of these really big, potentially monumental transfers coming in to try and fit his vision. Do we think though, that after having three seasons of transfer windows and a pretty hands-on approach when it comes to picking out targets and having, you know, a veto over all transfers and basically being in charge of his own rebuild that has been given this time and be given this support. Does he hold some accountability when it comes to the lack of addressing midfield? I think so. I mean, we, there's there's been rumors, there's been links right now, you know, that we brought in Bruno Fernandez, who's panned out very well. I, I think we'd all agree. He has his moments where we're very frustrated. Um, if we'd like to make this podcast another hour long, we can throw it to Polly and he'll talk about the Wolves game um, and Bruno Fernandez, but we'll maybe we'll save that one. Um, but it just, it, I, I tweeted it out and it, the other day, it just feels like we're all desserts and no vegetables when we go to the grocery store. You know, like 
Harry Maguire was a vegetable purchase, even though he, you know, at the same time, he was also a splashy purchase. Like that was us trying to eat our vegetables. That was good. Raphael Varane was maybe superfluous, but still kind of a vegetable purchase. But then it's like, you know, we focused on Sancho and Cavani and Ronaldo and there's, and those were all big money signings. And there's still this just one third of the field that hasn't been properly addressed. Um, the whole reason why we re-signed Cavani was he was our stopgap till we go after Erling Holland. And it's like behind Cavani, we can have Greenwood. We can have, uh, Martial. If we need to, we could have Rashford. Like we can make that place work. But the problem is, is none of those people are going to eat if they're not getting the ball. And so it's like we've subjected ourselves again to another year of the McFred pivot once McTominay gets healthy, because let's not forget he is hurt right now. Um, we shipped Jimmy Garner off on loan, which at this, especially at this point, now that we are the transfer windows closed, that does seem baffling. At least when Jimmy Garner was initially signed on loan, we we're like, all right, cool. We're going to go get another midfielder probably and let this guy just incubate for one more year for another club, get a bunch of good playing time, and then he'll be, you know, fresh and ready to go to be a Manchester United player full-time next year. Um, so I don't know what's going on. Like, Matic is only getting older. He's not getting younger. And, you know, Juan Mata, for the most part, is pretty good um, in spurts playing at the 10 or maybe even on the right wing. You know, he's not really playing in the midfield that much or at least playing in the spots that we have issues in. So, We've really kind of put our eggs in a basket that we got to watch a full season of last year. And I mean, I don't I, I wouldn't fault you if you weren't fully convinced after watching last season that this midfield would be the midfield that would take us to a title this year. So I think there is some onus on on Solskjaer for that because he does have, uh, you know, he's the captain of the ship. He does have say in these matters. And I think at this point he's earned enough capital inside the building that people would listen to him if he was like, no, 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 no. We've got to go get this guy. You know, and for the most part, it sounds like they have done that with some of these players. So it's like, I just, I just don't know what's going on. You know, like, surely everybody is all seeing the same thing. It would be helpful. If, if anything, he can just look to his bench and see that Michael Carrick's sitting right there. And like, that's the player that we need, the kind of player we need, you know? So I don't know. There's, it, there's it's, a lot it's really weird. It's really weird how we managed to incept ourselves on Ruben Neves after, and we said we weren't <laughs> going to do this. But when we had our podcast with Carl Anka, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy, but we had a podcast with Carl Anka, and we all just sat there and talked about how Ruben Neves, we were going to find a way to talk ourselves into Ruben Neves. And sure as shit, we did. There's there's a lot going on here, and, and I'm actually very worried for Solskjaer this season. Because you guys are... You guys are right. He's had the capital. He's he's had his head involved. And this has been a neglected position, and there's that's it's his. It, the buck stops with him now. It's been what three years of this, but there it, 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 there are other extenuating circumstances here. When he when he did take over, you remember uh, the, heading into Mourinho's final season, there's a fan base that was very excited about Andreas Pereira. Like, oh, he's got to play more, and he's got to play in midfield. And Mourinho played him in midfield, and Ollie played him in midfield a bit, and played him there that preseason. And it was like, oh, he's an option. Plus, we have Matic. Uh, Fred was basically out the door. Ollie was like, nah, Fred doesn't even, not even here anymore. McTominay was here, and he wanted a midfielder. 
he made that crystal clear. And Newcastle said 50 million for Sean Longstaff and United said, no, we're not spending 50 million on him. And that's probably the right decision. But at the but it was clear Ali had, had found his guy that he wanted and it just wasn't delivered for it. And then you go through the season because the plan was to bring in Longstaff so you can continue to play Pogba up higher. But you also had Pereira. You had you had all these things. You go through the season, you bring in Bruno Fernandes, who is also a player that can play a bit further back. And right away it was like, well, that would be dumb. Why would you do that? Bruno Fernandez is, is a guy that is higher up the pitch. That That's it. And Andreas Pereira, now we found out, okay. And, and I, I wrote at the beginning of that 1920 season, this is a season about answering a lot of questions about people in the squad. And Andreas Pereira, we found out you are terrible and you cannot play here. And it was we needed a midfielder. And then something else happened. Uh, Fred started to blossom. McTominay was having a great season. Nemanja Matic on the, in the back half of that season all of a sudden found the fountain of youth and was like, nah, I'm really good too. And then you had Bruno and, and Project Restart happened where it was um, where Pog Pog and Pog Matic were dominating midfield. And it was like, huh, you know, we need this Jaden Sancho guy. Midfield was on that list. But people forget how dire it was in Project Restart that we had nobody that could come on for Bruno or Rashford. And it was like, we desperately need depth here. And the solution was Jack Relish, who can also drop back and play as that eight. And he's also a big-time ball progressor. We didn't get Jack Relish. It's too expensive. There's COVID. So we settled for Donnie Van de Beek, who has played sparingly as the number eight for Ajax, but really is a player... Most of the time when he does it, he's doing it in a three. And really when they play with a, with a midfield two, he's playing as a number 10. He's not really, and he's not a passer. He's not that guy. So you still needed a midfield. But what else happened during Project Restart was, well, you had Matic and Pogba and you were like, well, we could definitely get another year out of Matic here and wait until the market turns around next year. Then Luke Shaw got hurt. And Brandon Williams came in and the entire system just collapsed without Shaw. And it was like, we need a left-footed left-back. And suddenly left-back, backup left-back jumped up in the pecking order. And that's why we, we made such a move to get Sergio Reguilon and, and Alex and ultimately got Alex Tellis. Now you, you fast forward a year and it's like, yeah, we can use a center back. We need that Jaden Sancho piece. You know, that COVID also happened and the board refused, the owners refused to spend money and, COVID affected you the entire year. We, we didn't get match day revenue all year. And it was, we have to move for Jaden Sancho. And we need a, yeah, you know, if the center back's there, but we, we, we desperately need a midfielder, which still started identified as Declan Rice and West Ham were like a hundred million. And the board were like, yeah, we are not paying that. And that's also good. I don't think Declan, I think Declan Rice is a very good player. Don't think he's what United need. But then Raphael, the opportunity to sign Raphael Varane comes up. And um, we talked about on the last show, how I tweeted about all the reports coming out were United, they had to sell somebody in order to bring somebody else in because they didn't have any, they, they weren't spending any more money. And I spoke about this in the last show is you have to prioritize. If you need that right wing, that center back and that midfielder, what's most important right wing followed by what center back or midfielder. And the to me, the midfield was more important and that's where you have to prioritize. But people said, the opportunity to sign a Rafael Varane doesn't come along very often and you need to move on that. And that, if that's, that's fine if that's what you say, but somehow something else kept happening 
that United had to jump on that opportunity and it ultimately leads to neglecting the midfield. And yeah, if Solskjaer knew he could only make two signings and chose Varane over a midfielder, that is his fault. And he takes away. Now suddenly then Ronaldo comes around and all of a sudden the owners have money and they're like, oh yeah, we could, we could spend on that. That's a problem. But this is why I'm, this is why I'm worried. And, you know, as, as Colin mentioned, the, the Jonathan Wilson thing. Jonathan Wilson also wrote two fantastic articles about Ronaldo. It, it's just he wrote them from like a very, very anti-Solshar <laughs> standpoint. It's just it's clear that like Jonathan Wilson decided very early on, Ali Gunnar Solshar is not a good manager and he wants to be right. Which writers but, are, are want to do, I mean, yeah. admittedly, because... I mean, all three of us want to be right about Miguel Arteta, and it's pretty nice that we are. Right. <laughs> but, like, there have been plenty – like, I I famously was very skeptical about the Bruno signing. I, I wrote on the Busby Babe, like, I don't – like, don't treat him like a Superman, like a lifesaver, because he's not. He's just a good player who's going to make United better. And guess what? He was a lifesaver. He was everything that I said he wouldn't be. And I very – and I was like, oh, I'm glad to be wrong about this. So, yeah, I want to be right, but – I'd be glad I'd, I'm, I'd be glad to be wrong about if Ronaldo goes full Robin Van Persie and literally just wins us the league. I'd, I'd be glad to be wrong. Uh, I don't know about glad because that would that would feel like a Mourinho title where it was like, yeah, did like did we win or did Ronaldo win? But anyway, um, I've kind of lost my my track there. Right, midfield um, Solskjaer. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, it was about you know he's he wrote it from a very anti. Solskjaer stance. I was going to talk about the hypocrisy of something here. Um, oh, as I was, you know, because you talk, it, it is a nostalgia grab, as Jonathan Wilson was was writing about. And I was talking to somebody on Twitter last week, basically saying the one thing that I that I find funny about this is all the people who are anti-Solskjaer and have been saying, oh, he's nothing but a nostalgia grab. Oh, look at the, you know, it's if he wasn't part of the Champions League winning team, if he didn't score that goal, would he even be here? It's just a push for nostalgia. They're all the ones supporting Ronaldo coming back for nostalgic purposses. But my worry with, with Solskjaer, other than the fact that not addressing the midfield is literally digging your own grave because Ronaldo will not help you if you cannot get the ball forward because he certainly ain't coming back to get it, is when things don't go well or are not going well, in a match, Ronaldo turns into I'm going to do everything myself mode. And it rarely works. You know, he'll start shooting from 40 yards out and it rarely works. And United it's, it's already, not like LeBron mode. Right. United already have a player that does that in Bruno Fernandez. And Solskjaer is really bad at controlling that from Bruno. And once he took Bruno off in the 6-1 game against Tottenham, but he has never done it since. And Bruno lost his head about five minutes into the match at RB Leipzig, and he played like shit the rest of the match. When Bruno gets angry and starts complaining to the ref, and when the ref has to, whenever Bruno gets booked for descent and the ref has to tell him to calm down, Bruno does not play well. And Bruno, that happened against Southampton after the goal, and it happened very early on. He got off to a bad start against against Wolves, and he got angry, 
he got mad and he went into angry Bruno mode where he tries to do things himself and he just doesn't play well. And I always never taken him off when that happens. And sometimes United might be better off if he did. So can United deal with that happening now, potentially with two players at the same time? And is Ollie strong enough to control that and handle it? And that's, that's my biggest concern now for the next season and two seasons, really. You're muted. You're still Let's muted. Continue on. I was, I was making a sign. <laughs> oh no, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I've, 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 de- yeah. I've, 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 I've spoke. editor I've cut done that two part out. Monologues today. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of of the same thinking, and I think definitely the Ronaldo situation it just felt out of character from what I've maybe expect is the wrong word, but definitely what I've wanted out of Solskjaer as manager. Um. And his willingness to just on a whim go and make that move uh, was, I, I think that added to everything that was depressing about it for me. And I I do think we're getting to a point now with him where, you know, we can't keep making excuses for him anymore if this doesn't work. And I think, you know, He's going to have to take some responsibility. I think he deserves credit for making it work with Matic and, you know, semi-reviving his United career. He deserves credit for McFred, as frustrating as it was. It solidified our midfield at a time when we were leaking goals. And he's made it work with, you know, pieces that he had no control over bringing in to Manchester United in his time in charge. But... When you have a team that has Cristiano Ronaldo and Rafael Varane and Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford coming back and Bruno Fernandez and Paul Pogba, you got to win trophies. And if this becomes a season where we're struggling to qualify for Champions League and Ronaldo is having his Latani Ibrahimovic kick where we're scoring 30 goals, but it's not really helping. And that's on Solskjaer for allowing it to get to that point. Yeah, I I totally agree on that. I, we're and we kind of alluded this, you know, in our in our preseason pod too. It, they, we're at the moment now where the rubber does need to meet the road. I mean, we've we've given them a, a I wouldn't even say we've given them a pass. I think we just gave them a fair shake of let's give them some time to start to craft the team in his image because we were we kept doing this in fits and starts where we'd bring in a new manager. And we let him make a couple moves that were, you know, opposite of what the previous regime did. And then we immediately pulled the, you know, the ripcord on him. And so then all of a sudden we had this Frankenstein team by the time Solshire came in. So we've finally given him a, ch- you know, we've given him a chance to sit there and figure out what Solshire's Man United is going to look like. So now at this point. There needs to be an end product, is and I think that's fair to say. I mean, he's going into his third year, third, yeah, third full season. I mean, we're 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 at that point. And the one thing that definitely can be 100%, you know, confirmed is when you go and you make the move to bring in Cristiano Ronaldo, that's your line in the sand. That's your way of saying like we expect to win trophies this season. 
certainly that player, you know, expects to win trophies this season. So it's going to be one of those things where it's a lot easier to get rid of a coach than a bunch of players. And we're, you know, bringing in a personality like Ronaldo, not, you know, not to poo-poo on LeBron or to, it, it, we're getting to that point where if, if there's a bad stretch of games, people are going to look at like, well, Ronaldo doesn't like Solskjaer, so they need to replace Solskjaer and get in a manager that Ronaldo likes. Like, I, we are very much looking at an NBA situation with this team now. So it's really gonna, it's really on Ollie to kind of grab the the reins of this thing. He's got to control it. He's got to make sure that the narrative around things he has some level of control over it. Otherwise, it will get out from underneath him, and they'll just eventually. If there's anything we found out from the Glazers in the last couple months they will succumb to public pressure. So um, for Solshire's sake, because for all intents and purposes, I think he's done a good job so far. And I do, I do want to see him succeed as our manager. Uh, I feel like we've definitely put a lot of eggs in our basket going back to the writers want to be right. We would like to see Solshire succeed. Cause I think we all back him. Um, he's got to do it. This is the year to do it now, especially after you sign Ronaldo, you got to do it. It, it's there's got to be at least one, if not two trophies coming home. Premier League would be the best, but if it's got to be a cup competition, then so be it. But he's got to put something in the case. Otherwise, you know, it's Pochettino. Season You're 100 percent right, right in that it's just fun. It's like he built this team that Ronaldo doesn't fit. And now you're going to have to jam Ronaldo in there. And when it doesn't work, they're going to be like, oh, Solskjaer doesn't know what he's doing. How could you lose with Ronaldo when it's like, you know, most most managers did lose with Ronaldo. Ronaldo went to Real Madrid and played with Luka Modric and Karim Benzema and Kaká for a few years. But then after that, um, Gareth Bale, he won La Liga twice. And yeah, he ran into Pep Guardiola, but he played six years at Real Madrid after Guardiola left Barcelona and he won La Liga once. He finished in third more than he finished first. Uh, Yes, he won the Champions League a bunch of times there. And there's no taking away from that, but you you don't have to win game. You you literally don't have to win games in the Champions League. You can you can go into the semifinals, get a one one, and then a two two, and go through. You can't do that anymore. But uh, you know he won the he won the Euros with Portugal without yeah. winning a single game. You can so, go in and just play frustrating against Bayern Munich to the point that they have to open themselves up and you can score four goals against them. Right. But it, you could go and in the quarterfinals and in this Tottenham went to the Champions League final and they won two. They, they only won two out of their last five Champions League games and they went to the final. Uh, if you do that, you could do that in the Champions League and win. If you do that in the league, you will not win if you win two out of five games. Uh so he has like plenty of managers have not won with Ronaldo and it's hard to not win with Ronaldo. It's it's hard to win with Ronaldo when you've got a player like this is what we said at the very beginning was this is a team built on a certain way and especially defensively where everybody does their job and contributes. And you've got a player who's just like, nah, I'm going to stand at the top of the box and score. It doesn't really fit this team. And, and as Nathan said, like if United don't start winning or don't consistently win. And right now it's like, well, they still have the big, big, big issue of an inability to get the ball forward to even get it into the box to Ronaldo. It's going to come down on the Solskjaer. Yeah. 
It's going to come down onto me if I don't stop this podcast because <laughs> we're over an hour now. Um, Wait, hold on. We haven't made any men's national team references or movie references. Oh, right. If you're going to buy a cheap player from Juventus that they're just trying to offload their wages, why don't you go for Weston McKenney? Bang! There we there go. We All right. Also, I'd prefer Tyler. Well, if we could get Tyler Adams, too, that'd be nice. Oh, yeah. Weston McKinney. The- Weston McKenney is a, like I would say, is a player that is an upgrade on some of the midfielders that we have right now. He does not solve the midfield problems. <laughs> Man, um, Polly, we just need bodies at this point. Yeah, <laughs> right. here's a Senate. Here's Bring a Senate good to look at it, too. By the 31st, we were bringing up the Longstaff brothers again, man. <laughs> it, it, from a cynical point of view, too, I mean, a U.S. player playing for Manchester United again, think of the shirt sales, Glazers. Some right. Right now, where you can't even take the team on tour to the U.S. Yeah, that's true. Um. All right, I think that's going to do it. I'm definitely putting our ad break wherever Nathan made that fake ad break intro um, after Polly. What do you rant. think I was doing, bro? I've done this before. <laughs> <didn't work. laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, then there's only uh, like yeah. 50 minutes after that. Yeah. We're, this this podcast was a lot like The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where there's like 17 endings. There we go. There's our movie The reference. extended edition. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be four and a half hours long. <laughs> yeah. We get that scene where there's the mouth of Sauron. And Gandalf's staff is broken and then magically reappears again later in the movie and is not addressed. Much anyway. like the pit bull. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It all ties Yo, back what's, in. What's Gondor's midfield looking like? Is there anybody that we can pull off of that team? I mean, look, if you got the pivot of Faramir and Boromir, I think you're going to hold on to Osgiliath. But... You know, I, I think we're sitting on some content here. <laughs> The all the all Middle Earth starting eleven for Manchester United. I guarantee if somebody has listened to the entire podcast to this point, that reference has a ninety percent chance of landing on them. Oh, it didn't land on me. Ah, damn. Well, it sucks that we signed the Balrog to be our uh, our star striker for this year. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>